This program is brought to you by the Assembly of Geeks, geek content for a geeky world. Visit us at assemblyofgeeks.com. Today's episode is all about our favorite martyr, Jin Erso. We thought about doing a regular prologue, but decided to take a page from Rogue One and do no prologue at all. Here's our spoiler-filled discussion of Beth Revis's novel, Rebel Rising. Welcome to Sky Talkers This Galactic Life. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm Caitlin. And we are so excited because today we have Sarah Dempster, the Twitter superstar and Star Wars blogger for 1138, on the show with us. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. So glad to be here. Yay. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Um, I'm excited. So before we begin and talk all about Rebel Rising, we want to know, how did you get into Star Wars? Like, what's your Star Wars story? Well, when I was in preschool, my dad sat down and watched the original trilogy uh, with me and my sister. We had like the old VHS set, too. Mm -hmm. And I was probably I was like in um, kindergarten, I think, because I distinctly remember we were learning about the solar system like at that time in school. And when R2 and 3PO landed on Tatooine, I, like, ran upstairs to go get my little coloring book sheet about, like, all the different planets because I wanted to figure out what planet they were on. And then my dad <laughs> was like, no, they're in, like, a Aww. totally different solar system. And that just blew my mind. Um, so, yeah. So, I've been a fan since I was a wee child. And uh, here here we are today, you know, <laughs> 20 years later. That's such yes. a cute story. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Looking for Tatooine on... Like the Milky Way. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh yeah, so they're on Mars, right? Because it was like, you know, kind of rocky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But alas. But no. <laughs> A galaxy far, far away. Not our own. Not our own. Not even close to our own. <laughs> That's funny. Well, the other question we always like to ask guests on our show is, if you've listened, you know that we like to ask people about our Star Wars dinner. Um, and do you know what the Star Wars dinner is, Sarah? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's it's for those of you listening that don't know what Star Wars Dinner is. This is a like a quote unquote game, I guess, if you want to call that. um, (laughs) That Charlotte and I play on long road trips, where we basically talk about who we would bring from the Star Wars universe to our Star Wars dinner. And it can be anyone from um, actors and actresses to people like George Lucas or. like Ben Burt, it can be anyone, or it can be characters like Luke Skywalker. But basically, we want—we always want to ask people who the five people are that they would want to bring to their Star Wars dinner. So we want to know who you would most like to sit down with and enjoy a meal with, Sarah. Hmm. Well, Carrie Fisher, obviously, because mm-hmm. yes. I mean she's Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would have to bring Mark Hamill along just to have them bantering back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um. Probably Hayden Christensen, because that would be a really interesting seeing him interact with Carrie, I feel like. Oh my gosh, yeah. True. True. <laughs> I feel like, like he I would just, just be blushing the whole time. It would be great. I would. It would just be like dinner and a show, honestly. <laughs> um, oh gosh, who else? Probably also Ian McDermott. I'm like going all actors here, but like Ian McDermott would be really cool, because I saw his panel at Celebration Anaheim. 
And he just seems like a really cool guy just in terms of like talking about acting and stuff. And he'd bring, you know, a little bit of gravitas maybe. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. like an actor. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> he's like very Shakespearean. So he's like yes. very he's, like, serious. <clears throat> and who else? Freddie Prince Jr. I think he would he would be a cool guy. And there'd be lots of cool like Star Wars discussion with him. I would sit next to Freddie at that dinner and we would just geek out about everyone else there. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. That would be fun. I've never thought about bringing Ian McDermott, but at Celebration Orlando just this past April, he talked about acting a little bit at the 40th panel. And you're right. It was it was really interesting hearing him talk about acting and getting into Palpatine's mm-hmm. head, especially playing opposite with Hayden. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. I, I wish that we had seen a panel with him because we have – Caitlin and I both haven't. The only – Caitlin yeah. got to go into the 40th. You all know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did. <laughs> but those are great choices. I'm I'm into them. We, kinda, we usually go for actors too. Like, yeah. Honestly. Yeah, we usually do too. Um, you kind of always have to bring Carrie and Mark – it's like yeah exactly it's, it's so hard i've tried a number of times to have a dinner without one of them and it's at in the end i'm always like no no i gotta bring back mark and carrie together i just exactly. need them i just need them to be best friends all the time <laughs> and just hear their stories <laughs> yeah exactly speaking of mark and carrie what did you think sarah of the vanity fair photos Oh my gosh, I like am still heart pounding over them. <laughs> like you know, it was it was really funny because my alarm went off this morning and I was like half asleep in bed scrolling through Twitter as I always do, and then I saw that pop up on my timeline and I literally shot up in bed wide awake, being like, "Oh my gosh, Annie Leibovitz, you know, Vanity Fair pictures. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh." <laughs> That's exactly what I did. Like mimicked. I actually saw you post it on Facebook, and I was like, no way. No right. way. <laughs> well, I got really excited because I thought they'd already released, like, the whole spread and the article or whatever, but no, that's tomorrow, so we have that to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, can't wait. By the way, yeah. we're recording this on Tuesday, so. Yeah, oh, so well, whatever, oh whatever <laughs> no, awesome no, news comes out tomorrow will not be in this episode, so just so you all, everyone listening knows that. But we'll just be I screaming didn't... about it on Twitter instead. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> I didn't, I was at work this morning, so I didn't see the photos until a little later, and then I remember seeing someone tweet about, like, just wait, there's more tomorrow, and that was my freak out moment, because I was like, oh my gosh, there's going to be so many more, but, like, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I know! That got me really excited. I'm I'm really hoping we'll get a, a good picture of Ray's new outfit, because I know personally as a cosplayer and all the other cosplayers that I know we're all like killing ourselves over those tiny little blurry (laughs) screenshots from Battlefront or whatever trying to figure out what her new costume looks like oh yeah yeah I I really want that too I want a more like not cover photo you know Mm -hmm. what I mean Mm-hmm. So I, I'm excited to see more. Like, I, like another set photo? Like, pin-up. Yeah, exactly. like a set photo. I would like yeah. a lot of set photos. <laughs> That's what I really want. Although, I mean, come on, general general Organa. Can't beat yeah, that. That was amazing. It was, I that, was the first, that was the first one I saw, too. I thought that was the only one for a second, and then I saw all the others. But, man. I think it would have been okay if that was the only one. I'm oh, yeah. So too, totally. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's the one I'm going to try and get, I think, is that cover. Yeah, me too. Me too. Oh, oh gosh. It's like, do I want the Kylo Ren one? Do I want the the Luke one? I I mean, I want them all. Honestly, (laughs) it's a little excessive to get them all, but I mean. But but, I mean, at the same time, they're all really awesome. It's an anniversary edition. Exactly. You kind of need them all. 
collectibles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's how I justify every Star Wars purchase. They're mm-hmm. collectibles. It's a collectible. It's an anniversary. It's fine. It's, fine. it's only this one time. It's only <laughs> this one time I say everyone. <laughs> well, Charlotte, I know you had like a major a major moment with Captain Phasma. Yes. I'm so happy to see her without her helmet. I'm excited. I hope that they do more with her character. Like, Caitlin and I both were not a huge fan of Captain Phasma and what they did with her character, and I'm sure a lot of people aren't, but... I'm seeing her with the new staff and mm-hmm. her helmet off. It looks so she looks amazing. She and we're getting so a good. book and a comic series about her, so I feel like that bodes well for her screen time in yes. The Last Jedi. Yes. Cannot wait. I'm excited. I hope so too. That kind of stuff always makes me wonder about if that was in the cards from the beginning for Captain Phasma or if it was just a response to everyone being like, What what the heck? What happened to Captain Phasma? You, all the you get Gwendolyn you know? Christie, and then she's on screen for like thirty seconds. Exactly, exactly. Like, I always wonder about that kind of stuff because I don't know. Like, what is better? Is is it better that it like it like her character developed because of fan response, or that this was the plan all along? That's always the age old question. Yeah, mm. that's that's the question. <laughs> Does anyone have an answer? That's what I'm asking. No, no. Okay, I okay. don't. <laughs> Okay, so we should probably dive right into the Rebel Rising discussion. Um, so in part one, we're going to be talking about the Rebel Rising pros. And in part two, we're going to be talking about some of the cons that we found throughout the book. And in part three, we're going to be talking about Jin Erso as a character in Rogue One. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? So what did everyone think of Rebel Rising? Sarah, why don't you start? Uh, I loved it. You know, I... Um got the Kindle version and I started reading it on the train into work one day. And I think I finished it by like the afternoon of the next day because I just could (laughs) not put it down. Yeah. I loved it too. I thought it, I thought it was really good and added so much to Jin's character. And Mm -hmm. I didn't even think I really needed a story about Jin. Like that was this substantial, but when we got it, I'm so happy that it went into all these different places because I don't know if either of y'all have read the Rogue One novelization, but I really love what Alexander Freed did with Jin in that book as well. Yeah. And so this was like a really nice bridge between that opening prologue scene of Rogue One where, you know, she sees her mother killed and her father, you know, taken away and then bridges that gap to um, the kind of angry, abrasive, you know, mistrustful character that we see in the rest of the movie and like does a really good job just kind of getting from point A to point B and does a like fantastic job fleshing out her character and her motivations and everything. And it just, I mean, I think it's my like top favorite star Wars book now with lost stars. So oh, wow. that's, that's high praise. praise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really liked Rebel rising. I thought that I feel like I understand Jin a whole lot more now and I haven't gotten to the rogue one novelization yet. Um, but I think I really, I thought what the book did really well was kind of show how Jin disliked the Rebel Alliance and the Empire. And mm-hmm. I think as people who have grown up with Star Wars and, you know, for us, it's very clear cut, like, that the Empire are the bad guys, the Rebels are the good guys. Like, how can you not side with the Rebel Alliance? Like, they're the good guys. Um, but I think with, with this book, it was easy to see how Jin didn't want to side with either one of them because both of them were creating problems in her life. And mm-hmm. I thought I thought the novel did that really well, um, and we'll talk we'll co- talk about this later in part three. But I like we said, it, it segued really nicely into her character in the movie too. 
totally. Yeah. I thought you're you're right, Caitlin. Like it did really did kind of flesh out a lot of her motiv- motivations and why she wasn't so keen on you know taking a side and fighting for something at that point in Rogue One um, until she was reacquainted with like her father's transmission. You know, mm-hmm. um, I I I really liked that, and I also just really love her relationship with Saw and how you really see how much that shapes her from this, you know, angry, traumatized kid into this somewhat idealistic young adult who then is just like kind of continually beat down by the forces around her, no pun mm-hmm. intended. And, um, <laughs> and you know, you, you really see how she gets to that point of, well, I'm not going to, you know, I got to watch out for myself and myself only because I can't trust anybody to step in and save me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Saul was definitely, her relationship with Saul at the beginning, I felt was the strongest part of the book. I thought, I, re- I really loved that part, um, seeing, you know, all those times Saul calling her his daughter openly to other people, and other people at their base being like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. Yeah, yeah, if you say so. Um, and then that just kind of compounded on just how hurt Jin felt when he didn't come back for her. And her not really understanding what was going on, but having to survive through that pain. Mm-hmm. And and I kind of love how it also showed that maybe Saul wasn't, like, the best person to help her through, like, in a healthy way. Through, yeah. like, the trauma of, you know, the Empire basically coming and destroying her family. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's all about just, like... He's got all of his issues, you know, going back to the Clone Wars and Stila and everything. And just how you know he basically tells her just to focus your your trauma into like aggression and violence which isn't really the best way to deal with things no (laughs) she never really like reaches a point where she can move on and have a healthy like life yeah you know like even when she's on that the planet with oh what's it called with the mom and her son and skull yeah is it skull (laughs) I, I think uh, so. Uh, yeah, it's, that sounds right. <laughs> it's spelled S K U H L. We're gonna say skull. Skull. Yeah. yeah. For our and, purposes, it's gonna be skull. You know, and they're like trying to give her this like loving family life, and she just like can never really quite fit into that because she's so used to having to be on her own and fight and you know be on the move the whole time. That was the saddest part of the book for me. I think definitely saw definitely like stifled her emotions so much and didn't let her have. I don't I don't know I just felt like she was she wasn't she you're right it wasn't like a very healthy environment that she was in (laughs) for a nine-year-old girl no (laughs) no and she had to grow up so fast and there's so many instances in the book where it's like I'm not 13 like I I I may look like this but I'm not I'm older you know (laughs) I'm a child soldier and I'm traumatized (laughs) like that's not normal exactly not normal I mean she was living off of that, what was it, like, nutritive milk or something yeah. for six years <laughs> and ration cubes. I don't think she ever ate anything else in the whole book. It's just no, like, think- poor baby. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the same thing I have with Anakin where they just have, like, such, like, terrible things happen to them and they're, like, don't really know how to deal with it. And I just want to, like, come give them a hug and, like, a blanket and a cup of right? tea or something. Yes. <laughs> a nice cup of tea. This will make everything better. No, I, I really love Saw. What I liked about Saw's part in the book is I thought it dovetailed really nicely with 
kind of his trajectory, what we'll see happen in Rogue One as far as his kind of breakdown, and mm-hmm. com- especially compared to when we first met him in the Clone Wars and then seeing him kind of slowly unraveling in Rebels a little bit to, um, I forget who it was in the book, but when he thought that one of his men was like sending out signal transmissions to the Empire and like basically exiled him or executed him. And then it turned out that it wasn't him at all. And Saw was like getting more and more paranoid as mm-hmm. the book went on um, yeah, until that final crazier mission. Crazier and crazier. Yeah, I thought that I thought that worked really nicely. And it was it was I liked being able to see it almost from Jin's point of view of watching Saw kind of unravel more and more and kind of questioning everything that he had taught her and kind of continuing to question that throughout the book as far as like mm-hmm. whose side she was working on, you know the the role of hope as like as a thing in these people's lives and how Saw didn't really have any of that and how that wasn't necessarily a good thing. Like she may have thought it was when she was younger, when she lived on Rhea with him. Yeah. I I mean, I really liked, I really liked all of that part. It's interesting to me because I do wonder sometimes if I, we really do respond to the parts with Saw and familiar characters because they are familiar characters and I, I do, like, is there something with that that we get excited about? And that's why it's our, like, favorite part in the book. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, I because know. you know kind of where the end point is, you like to see Yeah, and it's like in. you like to, exactly. I, I do, I wonder if. I, no, I, I get you. Like, wondering mm-hmm. if that's why those, t- like, you kind of tend to like those books better. Because yeah. Because it, it flushes things out more. Yeah, I can see that. Because my one of my other favorite books is the Ahsoka novel, and it's kind of the same thing. Exactly. And yeah. the, the, my favorite parts in the Ahsoka novel are when we see familiar characters. And maybe that's just like, I think that's a fan problem that maybe I have and I need to like branch out a little bit more. I mean, but... we talked about that with Lost Stars, though, on our last episode, how Lost Stars is so popular, but it's not familiar characters. I think that's it's true. A, I think in the books, it's a matter of time because, I mean, we spend the most time with Saw in this book. Um, mm-hmm. Like her time with Saw, that that takes up like the first half of the book, and then mm-hmm. everything else, everyone else that she meets is in the next half, and that's a lot of people that she meets. So we're not really spending a whole lot of time with other characters. So I think that plays into it too. If like mm-hmm. if she had been with someone else besides Saw, I think we probably would have felt a little more attached to that person, just because we spent more pages with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Because I mean, I know when I went into the Catalyst book. I came out of it really loving Lyra because most of the books, like, from her perspective. Yeah, I felt mm-hmm. the same way. Another part I really liked about Rebel Rising, I really liked the whole relationship with Jin and Hader. Hader? Hader. How, how are people pronouncing it? I think <laughs> I, I pronounced it Hader in my head, but... Me too. Yeah. Me too. I did Hader. And then Caitlin was, like, Hader. And... Yeah. I'll have to ask Pablo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did really love how that was characterized and the tragedy behind that and it was another component of why Jin basically likes to be alone and on her own and is kind of mm-hmm. aggressive because she's faced all these different types of tragedies that being one of them yeah like mm-hmm. it, and that was the one you know person well you know had her and his mom you know she was trying so hard to save them and then it was like almost kind of a freak accident not mm-hmm. freak accident but you know it was like the, the whole was. time on that scene, I was like, I was just waiting for the shoe to drop. So I'm like, I know they're not going to make it out because they're not in the movie. <laughs> oh, me too. That's the worst. No. <laughs> I definitely know you're dying. <laughs> or something's going to happen and you're just like going to have to leave them and they're never going to come back into your life again. 
<laughs> so much tragedy in this I galaxy know. far, far away. It I feel really like is. I feel like we say that every episode, Charlotte. Like, <laughs> oh, sadness in Star Wars. What else is new? Oh, tragedy. <laughs> so true. Woe so is true. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so welcome back to part two of our episode with Miss Sarah Dempster. And in this part, we are going to be discussing some of the cons for this book. Um, so some things we didn't like or thought could have been better. Does anyone else want to start or should I start? You should start. I should start. Okay. <laughs> I do. Okay. We, what we touched on in the last section was this idea of spending time with a character. So maybe part of the reason why all of us really enjoyed the part with Saw and Jin is because we spent a lot of time with them in the book. Um, whereas in the second half of the book, Jin goes through a lot of different people and a lot of different planets and jobs and things like that. And for me, that was kind of my least favorite part of the book. And I think I was talking to Charlotte about this earlier a couple days ago, and I think the thing I wish would have been handled better in this book is the concept of time. Um, I felt like we zoomed through a lot of years of Jen's life really quickly, Um, specifically with her time on, what was it, Skull, on Skull with Akshaya and Hader. Um, That part of the book is not even 100 pages, and a year or so passes while she's there, and I felt like that line was just kind of thrown in that, you know, suddenly she's 17 or 18 years old. Um, and she, I, I just don't feel like we had enough time with those characters to really feel the full impact of their death later on. Do you guys, do you guys agree? Or what do you guys think? I, I sort of agree. Um, because my biggest issue with the book was also pacing, though it was the, mm-hmm. the latter half of the second half of the book where there was like a basically like, like a throwaway line about how she spent five years just hopping around planets, like yeah. in cantinas and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. The, the bit on Skull, I didn't feel like was, like, super, super rushed, um, because I think the whole kind of point was that it was a very routine, like, livelihood for Jen, and it was kind of a lot of the same thing day after day, which was in contrast to her earlier upbringing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, yeah, maybe they could have done more to develop the relationship with Hatter and her especially, um, since that was kind of, like, her spoiler alert like first love and only love really depending on how you want to interpret her and Cassian's relationship um but you know at the same time the whole point of that well I mean yeah I guess I I can't see what you're saying because the whole point of that was that you know she opened herself up to these people and then they you know it didn't quite work out for lots of reasons as anyone who's read the book can know and that sort of explains why she's so hesitant to not only trust people, but like open up to people because she did it before and then got like horribly hurt and she just kind of closes herself off period. So yeah, I think maybe we could have gotten to know them a bit more and spent more time with them, but I didn't like at the time I didn't feel like it was rushed, but looking back on it, I can kind of see that it was. I kind of agree with you, Sarah. Like they, I don't think it's as big of an issue as Caitlin believes it is because I thought that the point was that she was like all over the place and basically a nomad but maybe it could have been handled better you know Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I see that point of her being like a nomad and that's kind of essential to her character but I don't know I guess I just felt with Hedera and Akshaya there was that was like her first chance at at a family that life she never got and when you think about I mean what what does she say in Rogue One to Cassian in the film she says like um I'm not, not used, used to people. people. 
sticking, sticking around back or sticking around. Yeah. But she spent this whole year and a half or so with Akshaya and Hader, and that was that was the thing that surprised her most about Akshaya was that she kept coming back to Hader and they stayed there. Um, and that was that was that was like a really big turning point for her. It ended poorly. But I feel like she really started to put down roots and wanted to put down roots there. And it seemed, Hader seemed more invested in that relationship than I really got from Jin. Um, like he was going to not join the rebellion because he wanted to be with her so badly. But I don't feel like we had enough time to really develop that relationship because for the first half of that part of the book, she's, you know, getting used to living there. Her and mm-hmm. Hader are flying around. They're like loving that life. And then it's only. <laughs> it's and then only... it's all of a sudden like, I'm not going to go anywhere without you. And she's like, yeah, what? I love you. Yeah. And then they, you know, they had like make love or whatever. <laughs> like, a cave, like wherever they are. <laughs> In a field. A field. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Oh my gosh. I forgot that it was like so straight from Attack of the Clones. Right. <laughs> They're riding on what was it on his bike? And yeah. they like fall off and, and like roll down the hill together. I was like, am I reading the Attack of the Clones novelization? <laughs> what is going on? I think I sent that to you, Charlotte, and I was like, yeah, what's yeah. happening here? <laughs> what is what's happening? Um, I don't I just I feel like that I would have rather have spent more time with that relationship. Um, really building up like how much she has grown to care about these people, how much she really loves and wants that routine of a family life. And then to have that like ripped away from her so tragically, I think would have for me anyway, would have made more of an impact for her being that kind of hostile, non-trusting person that we see later on in Rogue One. But, I mean, I totally get this idea of her, like, jumping around and um, working for both the Empire and the Rebellion at certain parts throughout the novel. I, I liked that aspect of it. Um, but for me, I thought I thought a lot more could have been done with the Akshaya and Hader relationship um, and kind of family unit that kind of seemed to be building, but for me, never really got off the ground. Well, and I think it was kind of the point that it never really got off the ground because it took her such a long time to even feel nominally safe there, even knowing Mm -hmm. that the Empire was, you know, still out there and wasn't going to leave the planet alone for long. And so I think the fact that she tries to save them instead of just, you know, cutting and running when she has the chance is a huge character development point for her because, you know, up until that point, she's really had to rely on her own and even couldn't rely on Saw uh, even when she was a kid. And so that was, like, I think the first steps of her trying to open up and trust and, like, lean on other people. And then to have it, you know, wrenched away so horribly, she's just like, nope, never going to, like, not going to do that again. Like, close self off, completely raise the walls up. Can't do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Um, I think the, I think the but, purpose of Akshay and Hader comes across. Like, their purpose for making her want that kind of life. And then having it taken away from her. Um, but it could have been delved into a little deeper. Yeah. 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 It came across, but I think I would have been a lot. It was like I knew that they were going to die. Like you said, Sarah, we knew yeah. we knew something bad was happening, whether it was death or they got in prison. Something was happening. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really get a whole lot of time to care that much. I yeah. cared and I feel like I, could, I would have cared a lot more because I liked their characters. Yeah, that's fair. I think to me. The part where I wanted more was the ending with Blue and that whole crew. I mm-hmm. really thought that that end was like very impactful. That they all got in trouble, etc. But they all got I executed. Yeah, in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> executed like right before that imperial like totally rubbed in their face that she was a traitor mm-hmm. yeah god. yeah god but i really wish that we got a little bit more time with them so i could feel like extreme sympathy yeah, yeah. but because it was th- that moment at the end was so good and so powerful that, that like if we had maybe just one chapter of like Jin with them more i think i would have liked it better basically i wanted this book to be like twice as long as it was same yeah same it's like <laughs> That's my major complaint, and that's a pretty good complaint, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, it was, like, there were all these really good pieces. Like, her her hopping around the five-point system, I think, could have been really good if it was longer. Her having to work for Commander Solange and then having to work for the slaver. Like, the slaver mission, I thought, was really good, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the whole blue with the rest of the rebel group, I loved that part, too. But all of that, as well, happened all of those things happen in less than 100 pages too yeah. you know so it's it's almost like I, I i wish she would have picked two or like one of those missions or like broke it up more like she's the first part of the book is with saw the second part is with Hedair, and then the third part is with the blue rebel group yeah and we could have mm-hmm. had like so much more time with all those characters to see like saw left her Hedair uh, was killed blue was killed and then that's when we meet her in wabani it's just like hit after hit for these characters that we really cared about instead mm-hmm. we just got a lot of really great moments but weren't able to dive really deeply into any of them except for the part with saw which like okay speaking of that whole last bit where she's jumping around the the five point system that totally, I almost missed this the first time I read it, but there's like that one little throwaway phrase about how she spent a year on Takadana. And I'm like, wait, oh, I know. Oh, yeah, wait, right. wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, stop. Takanata? Like, <laughs> breaks on. Wait, we need to talk about this. <laughs> I know. I was like, okay, at least give me a little like sentence more about Takadana. Right? Agreed. That's so true. <laughs> I almost forgot about that. It's like, did you see Han? Did you see, like, Maz freaking obsessing over Chewie? Like, what like, happened? What was happening? What was going on? Yeah, see, Aww. like, stuff like that. It's I only like, remember it because, I, like, I literally have the Jin Urso Wikipedia article on my phone up right now to remind myself of some of the stuff that happened in the latter half of the book. Mm-hmm. Smart. Sometimes you gotta do that. Yeah. Especially if you read it a long time ago. Yeah, I read Not it, like, a, a long week time ago. ago. That was but... a long time ago. Yeah, it, me too. A lot happens in a week. A lot happens. We had new Vanity Fair photos, okay? Yes. <laughs> Our mind is filled with an unmasked Captain Phasma. Exactly. Girl Organa. We don't have time to and remember. General Hex's hair gel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, was there, were there any, is there anything else that you thought could have been improved, Charlotte or Sarah? Um, um. no, I think, I think we pretty <laughs> much hit it with the pacing in general being my biggest yeah. complaint. I think so, too. Yeah, that was mine, too, I think. Okay, so here we are in part three, and we're going to talk about Jin Erso as a character in Rogue One and in Rebel Rising. Um, so the first question I wanted to ask to both Caitlin and Sarah is, what did we think of Jin as a character purely from Felicity Jones's portrayal in Rogue One? I think it would be smart for us to kind of backtrack on that reflection a little bit and how we see her in Rebel Rising. Well, just from watching the movie, I liked her, but she didn't make a huge impression on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, this was before we knew that there was going to be a Rebel Rising book, too. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, oh, okay, like, she's cool, but I wasn't, like, super intrigued to know more about her as I was with, say, Cassian or Bodhi. So, and I think that, and that's not anything to do with Felicity Jones. I think that was just kind of one of the weaknesses 
of the Rogue One movie was that there were so many new characters and we didn't really have the time to get to know them all very well. Yeah. Um, which is fine, you know, for the movie it was, but... Agreed. I feel the same way. Like, I feel like I understood who Jin was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And the other characters in Rogue One, I was more intrigued at, like, Bodhi and Chirrut and Baze. I really wanted to know more about those characters, and I feel like I got enough from Jin that would satisfy me. She's not my favorite Star Wars heroine, and what we've gotten in Rebel Rising makes me like her, like, so much more. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I kind of compare Rebel Rising and then also sort of the novelization as well to the... um Matt Stover Revenge of the Sith novelization mm-hmm. in the sense mm-hmm. that it gives so much more depth to what we see on screen that it retroactively makes me more emotional about their performances. So true. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I like Anakin was always like a favorite, but he wasn't like a top favorite until I read that novelization. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, Anakin, like he's yeah. so traumatized. <laughs> it's like a theme. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, but Everyone is traumatized. For real. Uh, but yeah, and so... You know, I really loved what Alexander Freed did with Jen in the novelization. And then Beth Revis did such a good job expanding on that and, like, mm-hmm. backtracking on that in Rebel Rising that, you know, now when I watch her in the movie, I'm just, like, thinking of all this stuff that's, like, happened to her previously. And I'm just like, oh, no, you poor child. <laughs> <laughs> I know, me too. I, you you still miss really- that air? That's a really good comparison mm-hmm. between the Revenge of the Sith novel because the Re- I've said this before on the podcast too. I love the Revenge of the Sith novel and it really does provide so much character depth to the performances and I, you feel the same way with this one. It adds so much to every line, I think. And I think it makes her decision in the movie to go from, oh, I don't care about you know helping out anybody. I don't care about seeing the imperial flag fly because you know you just got to look at the ground or whatever mm-hmm. to deciding to actively help them and steal the ship to go blow up the um the transmissions and whatnot mm-hmm. because you know seeing how she's so much of her like defensive mechanism is like telling herself how terrible her father is and like you know he's this traitor and he's an awful person and then like seeing that uh hologram where he like tells her oh no i was like doing it all to like you know i was doing the long con i was playing the long game and like all of her defensive mechanisms come crashing down and she's like okay well i gotta make this right now i gotta finish what he started and i think that just adds so much more weight to her decision yeah Mm -hmm. it's such a paradigm shift for her in that moment and that's something i thought the book did really well is building up this idea of Jin hating her father and thinking that he just went back to the empire yeah, just, like, basically left them for dead. Yeah, yeah, and that Saab was never really um, contradicting this for her. Just kind of let that... um, Well, I mean, in in fairness, as far as Saab know, you know, he wasn't contradicting that, you know, because Galen did such a good job, for better or for worse, hiding his true intentions. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So that that was a great moment in the film of just kind of everything shifting. Yeah, I think that's the best moment, in my opinion, in the film, except for, like, the really impactful ending. But the um, <laughs> the the scene where she listens to her father's transmission is really mm-hmm. a, the best scene in the movie, in my opinion. She does such um, a great job in that scene. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Felicity Jones just sells that. And then knowing all that backstory, you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's when I was sold. In the movie, that's when I was, mm-hmm. like, really into it. I was like, Wow. This is really complicated. <laughs> all the bravo- all the bravado just like kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. For yeah. me, the line where she that you mentioned, Sarah, where she's talking about you don't have to look up at the imperial flag. 
that for me, I was like, wow, girl, <laughs> what has happened to you? Like, how are you going to get past that? Like, what what has made you so cynical? Yeah, and not not even cynical, but just downtrodden. Yeah. Just bad. Like, beat down. Yeah, beat down, exactly. Something I've kept asking myself through, and I and through all of these, like, books and stuff, um, is if, because when I saw Rogue One, I really liked Jin, but as you guys said, she wasn't, she wasn't the standout character for me. And I don't know if that's because I decided before the movie came, even came out that I was going to love Cassian with my whole heart. And, yeah, <laughs> and just, like, I went into the movie knowing that I was going to love him no matter what. Um, or if it was, <laughs> I can hear you laughing at me. Or if it was just that, I, I don't know. But even after reading Rebel Rising, I, don't, I still don't know if Jin is one of my favorite characters. I feel like I understand her a lot more, and I love that I understand her more, but I don't know if she's – if I like her more, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. She's not – she's definitely not in my top ten favorite characters, even. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that this book has to convince me that she's going to be one of my favorite characters. I think that it can provide really great backstory and add a lot to the film without, you know – making me like adore her and love her and just want to like know everything possible about her from birth until death. Well, and you know, I was kind of the same in that going into the movie, I, she didn't really stand out to me either. I mean, like, you know, I liked her, but she didn't, she wasn't like, again, the standout character, the way that Cassian or Bodhi were. Mm-hmm. Um, personally for me, reading Rebel Rising has made me love her more because yeah. Again, I kind of have a soft spot for characters that just have a whole bunch of awful things happen to them and are, like, trying to make things right, but maybe don't always succeed. But, like, she did succeed, you know, in a manner of speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she's, you know, has jumped up on my list of favorite Star Wars characters because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, it's kind of a bummer that we did have to read that book in order to get that extra Mm -hmm. nuance to it. See, that's the thing. It's like when you look at the standard saga films, do we need these books to convince us to love the characters? I feel like that's not good filmmaking. You know what I mean? It's, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. It's kind well, <laughs> of like writing Rogue One knowing that Rebel Rising is coming out about Jen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, so- and it's also kind of difficult because Rogue One's the first Star Wars movie where the characters are just confined to that one, you know, like two-hour mm-hmm. period. Yeah. You know, because all the other characters, they have, like, their trilogies or they have the whole, you know, a whole TV show to really develop them. And so you can do more with that. And so much of Jen's backstory and, like, the stuff that makes her the, – the reason why I like her isn't really things that you can necessarily show in a movie without just, like, a bunch of clumsy exposition. Mm-hmm. Um because, okay, for contrast, I also read the Guardians of the Wills book about Chirrut and Bays, And it's like, it's a really great book, but it's not anything essential to understanding their characters in the movie. Because it's it's not more of the same, but it's, it's you know, what you would expect from them in a good way. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't do a whole, it doesn't do the same thing that Rebel Rising does in terms of adding a whole extra lot of, oh my gosh, now I understand why she's doing this, and now I understand why she's so distrustful, so cynical, or, you know, feels this way. I think that was that was one of the critiques that we saw so much about Rogue One, is just this idea that yes. we didn't get to know the characters enough. And mm-hmm. for me, I, I really hated that critique, because 
you know, in the Star Wars universe, we're so used to having all of this knowledge about characters Mm -hmm. from all of, you know, whether it be a whole trilogy about them or all of this extra bonus content, as it were, in books and comics. And for me, the job of Rogue One wasn't to give me all of that backstory. It was just to make me care about those characters. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I did care about them at the end of the film and felt something when they died. Even if I didn't, even like in Jin's case, I didn't love her. Like I, you know, like we all said, she wasn't a standout for us, but I still felt something from her death. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, For sure. We definitely went on a really long journey with Jin and I, Mm -hmm. by the end of the film, I cared about her way more than I thought I was going to in the beginning of the film. Yeah. Yeah. And they gave me a lot to believe in her and to understand, like I didn't need we don't really need this book to understand why she's potentially cynical. Like, we we get it. She's Yeah, that's her true. Were, her parents were, like, basically one was killed in front of her, the other taken away from her. So we don't really know. You know, you know, she's, like, we get that she's raised by, like, kind of a crazy guy, you know? So I, I still think that by the end of the film, I was down for having all those emotional feelings I had with, for for Jin, you know, mm-hmm. but it does add so much. I'm really really happy with the way this book added a lot of dimensions to her character and really filled in a lot of gaps. And I'm, I'm kind of sad that she dies in Rogue One because I really want more about her mm-hmm. and more to do. And I know we're gonna get the Forces of Destiny stuff, mm-hmm. um, but I'm like, no, I want like five more books about Jin because I all of a sudden just like <laughs> care about everything now. <laughs> I so. know. I know. Maybe we'll get a comic series that's like a short thing maybe but probably not <laughs> maybe we'll find now, out what she was doing in that year on takadana yes <laughs> well, they throw in crap like that just so they can make a comic about it exactly two years down the line right like, that does kind of make me think maybe that is like a little snippet episode in forces of destiny because it could be Nyangro coming back for forces of destiny i think, she is. I think so yeah so maybe maybe they, they interact <laughs> Legit, I bet that's what's going to happen, and you heard it here first. <laughs> right here, Sky Talkers Podcast. Yep. Yes. Mark to May it. 2017. <laughs> Can't wait to tweet about this. <laughs> Saving this tweet just so I can brag later. I'm going to put yeah. it in the drafts, like, right now. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as far as, like, all of the books, it's kind of interesting, because at this point, we've gotten a lot about the Rogue One like cast of characters you know we've got the movie we've got catalyst we had the novelization we've got rebel rising we had guardians of the will um guardian guardians of the wills um we're getting the cassian comic that's am i missing anything we just need something for bodhi now yeah Yeah, where's the bodhi content for real though that's (laughs) six well five if you don't count the movie that's like five extra things about this film that don't include bodhi so, yeah. <laughs> so does it, well, the novelization includes yeah. Bodhi. So. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, do you guys think that that is like? Do you think that's overkill or or nah? I wonder um, if they're just like pumping all this out within the year after Rogue One came out, and then we'll. I I keep wondering if like at further conventions and everything, we're gonna see Rogue One content or Rogue One actors, or if this was like the only year it. that this is gonna happen. Yeah, I. I think I tend to agree that we're probably not going to see that much more Rogue One focused stuff mm-hmm. now that The Last Jedi is kind of ramping up again. And then we're going to have, you know, the Han Solo film after that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I think they're like trying to get it all out, you know, right around the movie to kind of capitalize on the popularity and the promo and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, if you think about it, if you look at Force Awakens, we had, well, we haven't really had many books in the Force Awakens timeline, but that's really more to do with the fact that they probably don't want to like, yeah, they can't spoil the later movies. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure once episode nine comes out, we're going to be getting a ton of sequel era stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, are we going to be getting this much content with the Han Solo movie? I think we will, just because I think Star Wars wants to, like, produce as much content as they possibly can. Yeah. Like, buy everything. And we will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because so. that's just who we are. Yes. <laughs> I mean, is and, that- especially, and especially now that Rebels is going to be ending, and as mm-hmm. far as I know, they haven't really announced a um, follow-up TV show at all, so it's going to be so like, good. okay... <laughs> please <laughs> that is so, you know, the crowd Ahsoka <laughs> like the new free bird or something <laughs> Ahsoka Ahsoka oh. lives exclamation point not not question mark exclamation point not question yeah. mark you know once Rebels ends we're gonna have the movies and then I guess the Battlefront games if they keep making those mm-hmm. to do content around so yeah, maybe we'll get, like, some Afro stuff, you know, more Afro stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I always wonder if there's a point where where it does become overkill and where it takes away from the story that's happening in the film, where it's, like, you need all of this other stuff to understand what's going on in these films. Because Star Wars is, like, Star Wars is primarily a film. Like, that's mm-hmm. where the main story is told is through film. That's, like, the highest level of canon, if you will. Yeah. Um. So I I always wonder if it becomes a point where it's too much or well it's, or it's interesting not. too because you know I was never super into the legends EU but mm-hmm. from what I've Same heard with us. Yeah, but like from what I've heard from people who were, I think we actually get less books per year now than they did previously. And usually and usually that's spoken of as a good thing, you know, because you can put more quality when you only have mm-hmm. like four mm-hmm. or five books a year as opposed to maybe like six or seven or something. And yeah. also you know, the old EU or the Legends EU, they weren't trying to work around movies. You know, it was kind of they, like they didn't have the story yeah. group or anything. It was just kind of, you know, the authors were doing their thing. And then Lucas came in and did the prequels and that kind of wrecked a bunch of continuity. But, you know, they went back and made like, <laughs> retcons to smooth it over. <laughs> Whereas now it's like all directed by the story group. So I mm-hmm. think, you know, and I might just be completely talking out of my you know butt here, but um, I think it's a different model the way that they're doing that. Yeah, so, for sure. They're like tiptoeing around potential story yeah. ideas. So it's like I don't know if it's overkill because I don't know if they've ever really like done this sort of multimedia type deal before or something. I don't know. That's a good yeah. point. That's a good point. As per Caitlin's question about like whether we need books to you know watch the movies, it's funny because when I took my parents to see Rogue One. They were like, tell me everything about Saw. Why should I care about Saw? Because I don't really yeah. care that much about Saw. And I was like, well, I'm actually pretty well acquainted with Saw because we saw him in The Clone Wars a really long time ago. And like, this is his story, you know? And then they were like, oh, interesting. Like, that brings a whole new dimension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that whole analysis and that question really had me thinking a lot about what it means for you know, something to feed into a movie. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the audience should still feel some sort of connection to Saw, even Mm -hmm. if they've never seen or even heard of the Clone Wars. Yeah. It should be something for us, whereas people who have spent time with them are like, oh my God, 
saw. You've gotten even crazier since the last time we right. saw you. You know, like, it should be more for us. It shouldn't be necessary, though, in, yeah. order, in order to connect. Or That's my that's my feeling mm-hmm. as well. Because, you know, like you said earlier, Star Wars is primarily a movie franchise. And as much as we all, you know, kind of live in the bubble and watch the TV shows and read the books <laughs> and stuff, like, the majority of the casual fans don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't have to watch Clone Wars or you shouldn't have to watch Rebels or you shouldn't have to read one of the books in order to understand what's going on in the movie or feel a connection to like a character in the movie. It should be more like a little Easter egg for those in the yeah. know, mm-hmm. which is kind of why I'm a little hesitant to say that I want an Ahsoka movie only because I feel like so much of, I don't, I mean, and okay, I could be totally wrong and I could totally come up with like a really awesome plot and stuff, but <laughs> it would be hard for me just to understand why the general public would care because they haven't watched Clone Wars. They haven't watched Rebels. They, you know, didn't see her, her duel with Anakin. They won't, they'd be like, wait, what do you mean Anakin has a Padawan? He didn't have a Padawan in any of the movies. Yeah. So. I think that's so true. I think. (laughs) As sad as it hurts me to say that because I really want an Ahsoka movie. I hate that you said that, Sarah. I know. Um, I'm sorry. It's okay. But I mean, you make a good point, but. To that, I will say, Ahsoka, I feel like an Ahsoka movie would really work well as a TV movie. Yeah. If it was anything. Because it's, like, already built into that TV audience of Rebels and Clone Wars. But Mm -hmm. that's just an aside. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, you have a really good point. Like, the films are the primary, like, the main canon. And so everything should be Easter eggs. But then at the same time, Charlotte and I have talked about this, too, where, like, for some people, the books were their main entryway into Star Wars. And that's where they – I feel like there's a there's a section of Star Wars fans where that's where they connect to Star Wars the most, is in the books, like the legends, more yeah. so than the films. Um, that I mean, that's not our experience, but for some people, the books for them are their favorite part, more so than the films. Well, yeah, because, like, I mean, during the 90s, that was, like, the only new Star Wars coming yeah, out. Yeah, that was so all you I can totally see why people are that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just kind of the byproduct of the Disney, you know – buying Star Wars now is that since they're yeah. focused on making the movies mm-hmm. that now the books are kind of always going to be that second fiddle. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously like for me and for y'all, like you said, we were never super attached. So that's not a big problem for us, but I can see why mm-hmm. people are kind of like, Oh, but I want like my awesome favorite book characters to have a main role or have like their continuing adventure in a movie, you know? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Rook coming up in season four of Rebels. Well, and I actually think that the way that they handled Thrawn in Rebels was really good for, for both yeah, I did too. the casual fans and the hardcore fans who know who he is. Mm-hmm. Because you didn't have to have read the Thrawn trilogy to like appreciate his character in Rebels, but if you mm-hmm. had read the Thrawn trilogy, you could totally get all the little like Easter eggs that they put in there. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it d- that doesn't get enough credit because it really is – Dave really handled that so well. Like, yeah. so well. We all mm-hmm. cared about – Thrawn, even though, like, I'm, like, halfway through the first Thrawn trilogy book. Like, I, I I know what he's about and everything, but I still cared about him as a villain in Rebels. Mm-hmm. I still reacted to him the same way. Yes. And I think I think this will just be my, my quota for the episode of saying how much I love Dave Filoni. <laughs> <laughs> like, if he's in charge of things like Easter eggs and putting characters like Sagarera or Ahsoka into, like, live action films like he's the guy to do it because i feel like he understands how to do it in a way that thinks about new fans while also you know 
putting in those Easter eggs for hardcore fans because he has to think about that with the TV shows all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you have this whole section of fans who know who Thrawn is, but then you also have arguably a larger audience that have no idea who he is. Yeah, and, and so you, you have also to be have able to balance that. Yeah, and even with Rebels, he deals with the fact that there are kids who only watch Rebels and have never seen the movies. Mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting like discussion about people's Star Wars entry point and how mm-hmm. what everyone's Star Wars is and how that affects you watching the movies and whether or not that should you know mm-hmm. yeah it's a very generational thing too definitely yeah it is I guess I would just never want the story group to be in a situation where they're making you know X movie and they choose not to add in a character moment. Because they're like, oh, that'll be explained in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, to their credit, I don't think that they approach it that way. But, you know. I don't think they do either. I just hope that they that they don't that they in never, the future yeah. either. Because yeah. they see how, like, good of a response they get from books. Is mm-hmm. what you mean? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I agree. And again, like, counting on the books to fill in necessary parts of a character's story. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, for me, like the film should always reign supreme. I should know everything that I need to know about that character from the film. And yes. then everything else can be bonus content and like add more to the film, but it should never be necessary, like we said earlier. It so, should enhance, not be yeah. required. Mm-hmm. So that's what I hope the story group talks about. And I'm sure they yeah. do. Yeah. It's and I think, like, devil's advocate. Yeah. <laughs> I think that we got all that from Jin in Rogue One. And I, I really. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like, I really did feel the emotional journey from beginning to the end with Jin, and I cared about her a lot more than I thought I was going to. But she's still not my favorite character, but Rebel Rising kind of changed it for me. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, I see what you're saying, because I guess I am kind of the same way in that I liked her a lot, and I, for the purposes of Rogue One, like, I knew what we needed to know, and it, I connected to her, and then reading Rebel Rising, I was able to really delve into her character Mm-hmm. And that was what, you know, getting on that, that fleshed out backstory and adding those dimensions, which, you know, didn't change really anything about her movie portrayal, but just added extra shades of meaning to it Yeah, um, is what made me like love her instead of just being like, oh yeah, that's a cool character. And, you know, she's a great lead or whatever. It's totally. interesting because unlike other characters, like with Saw, with Jin, well, I guess now with Saw, but with Jin, we know how her story ends when we get Rebel Rising. Yeah. You know, with other characters, you know, before Rogue One, with, like, characters like Saw, there were still time periods to fill in. Whereas with Jin, we've we've pretty much gotten most of her timeline at this point. Mm-hmm. I like, think, little yeah. Bits yeah. And, like, little bits and pieces are still missing, but we pretty much have the main, her, full, you know. her full timeline of, like, her birth to her death. And I think that's interesting. Think about, like, how we've, we had already seen her death in the movie, before we got her backstory, as far as, like, enhancing our viewing of Rogue One, too. Yeah. And there's not many characters you can say that we know what happens from birth to death in Star Wars. Yeah, yeah there's really not. Anakin, maybe. Of... And that's about True. it. True. <laughs> I keep making Anakin really. comparisons. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of stuff, though, that has come up recently, like, about how Anakin maybe wasn't born on Tatooine. That, like, totally blew my mind. Oh, so maybe there's... Have, mm. have you heard this, Sarah? That, like, he's technically not canon, has not been born on Tatooine. I haven't heard anything specifically, but, I mean, that makes sense because the earliest we know of him 
it's like from Phantom Menace when he says that he and his mom were sold to Gardula sold to the Hutt when he was like three. Yeah. yeah. So like what happened before? Were they on like, Tatooine already? Yeah. Or, you know, did they come from someplace else? Yeah. Okay. So like, <laughs> so Ooh. do we know everything from birth? Until okay. So maybe not. <laughs> but it's the closest we know. <laughs> yeah. True. 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 <laughs> well, I think that's going to wrap up our discussion today, but we are so happy that you could join us, Sarah. I'm so, so glad can... that I could too. <laughs> yeah. We're like, you should cut, stop by anytime. Talk about Padme. Talk about any character you want. Girl, I'm always down to talk about Padme. <laughs> <laughs> do we have another hour? Can we do it right now? I'm just kidding. <laughs> know, right? <laughs> we need to. There'll be a Padme episode coming up within the next year and we'll have to have you on. Yes. So, so where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me um, most on Twitter is where I spend the majority of my time, for better or for worse. Um, at My Twitter handle is Sarah Demp, S-A-R-A-H-D-E-M-P. Um, and then I also write occasionally for um, 1138. Nice. Awesome. Um, well, again, thank you so much, Sarah, for being on the show. We really appreciated it. And we hope you guys enjoyed our talk about Rebel Rising. If you want to contact us on Twitter, you can find us at SkyTalkersPod. And we have an Instagram now, which is at SkyTalkersPodcast. And then you can also go to SkyTalkers.com. Basically, if you search for SkyTalkers, you'll probably come across something that belongs to us. But thank you guys so much for listening. Please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps us out. And if you like what you're doing, what we're doing, and want to support us, head on over to our Patreon page. And again, we want to thank our Patreon Chuck. Thank you guys so much for listening, and may the Force be with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sky Talkers, This Galactic Life, part of the Assembly of Geeks Podcasting Network. Find the girls on skytalkers.com and we'll see you next time.